Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Such a wonderful presence of the Holy Ghost. It's so good to be here this Sunday morning for with Abundant Life. Amen. Amen. A new, a new favorite place of mine. Amen. Just because your pastor and everybody that's been here has been so kind and uh, very hospitable to me. Your pastor's wife especially. She made me breakfast the other night. She made me oatmeal. And I had it for breakfast. It just so happened to be in the form of a cookie with raisins and walnuts. Amen. So I'm so thankful for them. Uh, No pressure didn't put me on a a rigorous schedule where I had to go and do a bunch. No, he knew. He said, I'm just going to let you rest. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you for being sensitive to the needs, not only of the body, but of my needs as well. Thank you, Pastor, and all of... If you come here, man, you, you're in one of the friendliest... you in the friendliest church in town. How many believe that? Amen. Amen. And all the... Uh, uh, Pastor Cordell, you, you, take, you and your wife taking care of me as well. Thank you so very much. Uh, we... we uh, he... He smoked chicken, okay? Now, I, that's all I talk about now. You guys just feed me. And uh, no, if you haven't had smoked chicken and had some of that bean delight you had, I don't know what that, but that was delicious. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you. I'm excited. I don't want to leave. Okay. That's why I'm taking my time. But how many came here today wanting God to speak to where you are right now? I don't know about you, but I didn't come to hear from some young man. But I need a word from God today. And if you came to hear from God today, would you just open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, John 19 and John 20. Don't worry, I won't read it all. Amen. I'm starting to get hungry already. Goodness. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, thank you so much for spending your precious commodity of time with us this morning. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verses 8, then skip to verses 15. Genesis 2 and verses 8, the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden. Everybody say, a garden. Eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed skipping over to Genesis 2 and 15 and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die and the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him and help me for him In verses 6 of chapter 3, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons trying to make adequate covering for their failure and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden everybody say the garden he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Knowing that he is an all-knowing God, God asked a question, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. In verses 24, so, the, so the, he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. But now if you'll skip to the New Testament for a more complete context. John chapter 19 in verses 41, the Bible says, Now, everybody's saying now. In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, a tomb, a grave wherein was never a man yet laid. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. John chapter 20 and verse 14, the Bible says, And when she had thus said, Mary, when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, recognizing that voice, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Today, I just, I want to preach to you from a question. And please, don't try to answer it until I ask it again at the end of this message. But I'm going to minister from this question. Have you met the gardener? Have you met the gardener? If you would, would you just set your Bibles down and would you just slip your hand up in the air and say, God, speak to me today. Would you pray that right now? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. 
Father, I pray that you would let your mind be in this house. I pray let your living word come and preach the written word, Father. I pray let your anointing, let your grace, let your spirit come and articulate the very words that you know that your people need to hear, oh God. I pray, Father, not by might nor by power, but let it be by your spirit here today. I pray let them not see me, but let them see you. Let them not hear me, but let them hear you as I pray, binding every hindering spirit, whether human or demonic. I pray, Father, let there be a clarity in this house with the spirit of revelation and wisdom. Meet with us, Father, and let your word have its perfect work in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, would you bump your neighbor, say, have you met him? And you may be seated if you so desire. If you're ready for the word of the Lord, would you clap one more time? Hallelujah. Amen. We started Wednesday night in the Gospel of John, and we're going to end this morning in the Gospel of John as well. Thank you so much for your response. These couple of services, the hunger, the desire, and the depth that's been here has just been something special. But in the Gospel of John, I read to you about the account of a disciple of Jesus, Mary by name, whom seven devils were cast out, who had been delivered, who had been set free, and had experienced the forgiveness of a Savior. It was this Mary that when all the other disciples in the shadow of the cross, they had went and hid themselves, and they had they had, had taken themselves away and quit following him for a period of time while he was being tried and while he was being hung on that tree. But it was Mary that did not shy away and followed Christ uh, where other disciples had failed to follow. It was this Mary that was so devoted because whom for whom his forgiven much loveth much. And it was this Mary that knew him and would follow him even to the shadow of the cross. It was her devotion that she would now be outside of this empty tomb three days later after his crucifixion and after his death. It was now this same devoted disciple that would sit outside of that empty tomb uh, weeping and crying because that that Jesus that she had followed for some three, possibly three and a half years, following him, eating with him, sitting at the same table, walking down the same roads, hearing the same sermons that the other disciples would hear. It's now Mary outside of this tomb that is weeping and crying. And the angels come to attention and they said, Mary, why weepest thou? Why are you crying? She said, because because that Jesus that I've loved, he's, they've taken his body. I don't know where he is. And now, that all of a sudden, outside of that grave, tears are still streaming down her faith, face. This devoted disciple of Jesus now hears somebody ask, woman, echoing the angels, woman, 
why weepest thou? And she turns and sees Jesus standing there, but doesn't recognize him. See, now after she had followed him this far, she had known that he had died on Calvary and he had been buried for three days, but now this resurrected king is standing before her and asks her a question. She swings around to look him in the face, that same face, those same eyes. She looks at him but does not recognize him. And the Bible says, supposing him to be the gardener, And we just automatically assume she knew Jesus and she followed him. She knew what he looked like. She knew the very color of his eyes. She she knew the sound of his voice and she looked at him but didn't recognize him. Therefore, we just automatically assume in reading the text, her supposing him to be the gardener, we just assume that he's not the gardener. But I've come to introduce you to a part of Jesus that Mary had never known. Even though she had followed him faithfully, even though she had heard his word and felt his touch, there was a situation called Calvary, and there was a circumstance called the grave that gave a situation that would give birth to a revelation about God that she had never known. Even though she looked at him and did not recognize him it's not that he was not the gardener but it could it have been that Jesus was trying to show her a part of himself that she had never seen it's not that he was not the gardener previous but it took that sick circumstance and situation for her to know him like she's never known him and I've come to preach today that you may have followed him and you may have been walking with him you may know his voice you may have felt his touch but maybe today there is a part of him that you've never seen there might be a gardener that he has been that you've never known so I want to explain about this gardener how many believe that God is infinite amen how many want to know God like you've never known him how many's walked with him but you want to walk with him a little further amen because it's not that he wasn't the gardener Because even the book of Genesis, I've come to make the argument, I don't want it to be an argument, but I'm just going to use that word because I'm going to use that word. Make the argument that he is the gardener and has always been the gardener and will ever be the gardener because even in the beginning, the book of Genesis itself is a garden. Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's where it started. And it was in the book of Genesis where God planted every biblical truth in seed form that we watch blossom throughout all of the entirety of Scripture. It was in the beginning, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, 
God. God all by himself. There was none beside him. There was none before him. There was none after him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that same God that was in the beginning, we watched Jesus in the book of Revelation, the last book. We watched the full fruit of it as Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the ending. See, Genesis is a garden. How many believe that right now? Because that's not where it stops. Everything that God would do, he planted in that first garden of the book of Genesis that we now get to have the fruit of. Even grace. How many know, according to Ephesians 2 and 8, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God. How many believe that we're saved by grace? But thank the Lord, he didn't just leave us hanging, but he planted a seed for that grace in the garden of Genesis. Because even Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, the story of Noah. How many know the story of Noah? The big boat with all the boyfriend, girlfriend, animals got on the boat. How many know that story? Because Genesis 6 and 8 says that Noah, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of God about to judge the world, the Bible says God looked out and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God planted grace in seed form in the garden of Genesis. And we watch it blossom. Here's grace. We're saved by grace. Noah was saved by grace. Here's grace. God gave Noah a plan to follow that would help him and his family to escape the judgment. God empowered Noah through a plan that would help him to escape the judgment. Watch. Here's the plan. He said, make you an ark of gopher wood. It always starts with a tree. Just like he bore our sins on a tree at Calvary. It all starts with a tree, but it doesn't end there. He said, make an ark of gopher wood. It starts with a tree. But then he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make it with one window, one opportunity. That's this life. And then he says, I want you to make it with one door. That's one way. That's Jesus Christ. But then, see, watch, because, listen, follow me. Galatians 3 and 20. 24 says it like this, that the law or the Old Testament is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It is the Old Testament, the law that takes us by the hand and leads us to Christ. So we can look back there and watch as it's leading us and pointing us forward, just like the gardener would have it to do. So you've got one window, this life, one door, that's Jesus Christ. But then he says, I want you to make it with three floors, the low lower, second, and third stories. And that's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel according to Corinthians and when Paul would address what the gospel was. It was a death, burial, and the resurrection. But then once that's in place because of the tree, you've got to understand now you've got to get in it. And once they got into the death, burial, and resurrection, he even said, pitch it within and without. That's holiness. He said, pitch it within and without. In other words, holiness, a living right, is supposed to keep your boat afloat and to protect what God has previously given you. 
But that's all seed. But it doesn't stop there. Because the grace of God, he said it's a manifold grace of God. Manifold meaning, meaning many parts coming together to function as one. That's why your engine has a manifold. And your car, it has a manifold. It all comes together and it functions for one purpose, to do one thing, to get you from point A to point B. And that's what we're trying to do, get from point A to point B. But watch now. Grace doesn't stop there. I know it's Sunday. We're doing a Bible lesson real quick and then we'll... Is this okay? Because now, this is grace. He got in that boat. But once he got in the boat, now the Bible says God sent a flood of water. And what did the water do? The water is what made everything complete. It made the ark work. The water is what separated Noah and his family from the wickedness of this world. It was the water that washed away all the sin that was on the planet so the water that was judgment to the world became salvation to Noah that's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 20 in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing eight souls were saved by water not no no water's a part of grace he said they were saved by water and just like that water back then washed away all the sin and separated them from the world and it caused him to escape judgment such is the case now with water when you go down in that water in the name of Jesus you are separated from this world and all the sin is washed away that's why in 1 Peter 3 and 21 the Bible says the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save a neat little fact, I don't want to take too much time, but a neat little fact, you can bring that up just so you can see the scripture. Will you pull up 1 Peter 3 and 21 just so everybody knows it's there? They'll pull it up. But did you know, back in the day, did you know there's not brand new water when the rain falls? Did you know running through the lakes and the rivers, there is not more water that wasn't back there in the days of Noah? Did you know the same water that was on the planet during the days of Noah is the same water that's on the planet today? So the same water that saved Noah, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. And what that's saying is you're not taking a bath. But the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That same water in the days of Noah that separated him from this world and washed away all the sin. He said that like figure that when you go down in the water, that's what washes away your sin. Aren't you thankful for a seed that God planted called grace? Would you just clap for a moment and thank him for it? How many are thankful for grace? But it doesn't stop there because after the water, somebody say after the water, then the wind. Because in Genesis 8, the Bible says, after the waters began to assuage, God sent a strong wind to cover all the earth. God went, Whew. 
a wind covered all the earth. Remember, he's planting that in the garden of Genesis. Not only was it, not only was it a cross, not only was it the death, burial, and resurrection, not only was it one door, one window, not only was it pitching within, without, not only was it the water that was necessary in baptism to wash away your sin, but then in Genesis 8, chapter or verse 1, the Bible says, and God sent a strong wind that covered all the earth and we saw the fruit of that seed in Acts chapter 2 when it said and there suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting and it sat upon each of them cloven tongues as a fire and they all began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them the Isn't that cool that he planted so we wouldn't miss it because he made this so simple a fool couldn't err therein. He planted it in the garden, but we get to taste the fruit of it today where we are that we can have our sins washed away. We can feel the same wind and have the same spirit of God in our lives. But it didn't even stop there because God gave Noah a promise and said, Noah, I'm not gonna flood the earth ever again. In other words, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But he said, I'm never going to have you, I'm never going to flood the earth ever again. In other words, gave Noah a promise of eternal life. And Noah got off that ark, and when God gave him a promise, he couldn't see a promise. He couldn't feel a promise. So God gave him evidence of a promise and said, I'm going to give you a bow out of the cloud. It's what we call a rainbow. When he seen that rainbow, that was physical evidence of a contractual agreement that God had given him a promise that he would never flood the earth again. You can't see a promise. You can't feel a promise. So he gave him evidence and said, when you see this bow coming out of the cloud he said you'll know that there's a promise in place when you see the evidence so when that wind blew in that upper room and they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance that was the physical evidence just like the rainbow that was planted in seed form in the garden we now get to have that fruit because when you begin to speak with other tongues in that language you've never known that is God saying that's it there's a promise in place. That is the evidence. That is the token. And if you've ever had that experience, would you clap your hands right now like it's you know what that is. Hallelujah. But it didn't even stop there. It just keeps going. I don't want to take too much time. I'm hungry. So I want to keep moving on. Because now, don't even got to stop there. The Bible says, everybody say, after the water, then the wind. But after the wind, the Bible says that that ark rested on the Mount of Ararat. I looked up what that meant, Ararat, the other day. And Ararat, you can look it up in the Greek. I don't have time to pull it up on my phone. That word Ararat means the curse reversed. 
you understand God planted in that first garden the seeds for you to have a harvest of new life that you can have the curse of sin reversed in your life that you don't have to live beat up downtrodden in sin with your minds marred because of what this world has done he said the curse is going to be reversed through the wind and through the water and I'm thankful that we've got a gardener that laid it out so beautifully for us that we can't miss it because belief is not enough because if belief was enough he could have just built the boat and stood outside and hoped God would save him but guess what that didn't work you can believe this church is on fire with the greatest of all belief and you could be the greatest believer that this this place you can live right and believe this whole place burned down but if you stay here and don't respond according to what you believe you'll die in the fire so it wasn't enough for Noah to believe he had to get in that ark so now I'm going to move on because that same gardener that planted all that seed in that book of Genesis he planted another garden we know it as the garden of Eden Eden means desire That garden was God's desire. That garden was not only God's desire, it was his design. And God created this environment and this garden that he made. And he took man who he he had formed, breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and then placed him in that garden in his desire. And he said, Adam, dress this and keep this. In other words, maintain it and guard it militarily. He said, dress it and keep it. This is my desire. And he placed Adam in that garden That was God's desire because this being God's desire, all he wanted was somebody that he could share himself with. God just wanted somebody. He wanted to bring out who he was to them. That's what God's desire was, to have somebody that he could give them access to him. But not only that, God making Adam and Eve and placing them in that garden. What God wanted most, the Bible says when they were placed there, they were naked and unashamed. That don't just mean that they didn't have clothes on. That means that they, that God had access to every part of who they were. They were naked emotionally. They were naked spiritually. In other words, God had access in that garden to the deepest parts of them. But not only did God have access to them in intimacy, in a relationship, but they had access to God. So in this garden, they would walk every day in the cool of the day, hand in hand with the God who created them. And that was God's desire, that a people could just speak with him because he had been alone all by himself. There was none like him. There was none before him. There was none after him. And he just wanted somebody that was open and honest. That's all he wanted. And he said to Adam, he said to Eve, he said, you can have all of this garden. This garden is for you and for us to have a relationship. This is what it's all about, us to have this place where we can meet together. And you can bring your doubts, you can bring your fears, you can bring everything about yourself without fear of repercussion, without fear of rejection, without fear. You can come to me. And that's what was God's greatest desire. But then God said, you can have all this but of that tree of knowledge of good and evil thou mayest not eat because the day you eat of it you're going to die now if I was God and I'm not obviously but if I was God in my limited wisdom you know what I'd do I'd take that stupid tree 
pardon my language. Don't mean to offend, but I'd take that stupid tree. Sorry again. And I would go put it in the back spare closet where they put all the coats. No, well, if I was really God in my limited wisdom, Pastor, I wouldn't have even made the tree. But God in his infinite wisdom knew that he wanted a real relationship where people were not forced to have to worship him. He took that tree and the Bible says put it in the midst of the garden because he wanted it to be a blatant choice for them to love him. He wanted it to be a blatant choice before everything and everyone that you're choosing to not eat of that tree because when you choose not to, you're actually choosing me. But you know the story. You know what they did. They ended up eating that that fruit. And all of a sudden, once they ate that fruit, they had sin nature. Sin entered in. And what we call the Adamic nature. Adamic, meaning that nature, that sin nature. The Jews, they call it their Yatsahara, or the evil inclination that's just inherent in you. Now, right after they eat that fruit, their first feeling, fear fear maybe he won't love us anymore they realized they were naked and they were shamed fear fear that maybe he won't love us anymore fear if he if he knows we're not perfect if he knows we're flawed maybe maybe he won't love us and maybe he won't he he won't talk to us anymore so what they do the bible says that they took fig leaves and they put them all together and they started to hide amongst the the trees In other words, they began to use the very environment that God gave them to create an intimacy and to create a relationship, this very environment where they could be vulnerable and naked and unashamed. Now, once they had failed, they used the same environment to try to cover up what they felt was wrong with them. Hiding. Fear. Fear. But here's the thing. They, st- they had fear, but they still had faith. Because you can operate in fear, but still have faith to a degree. Watch. Because the reason they were hiding, because even though they failed, they knew that God would be faithful. And God was going to show up. So they used just like some of us have done. That's where religion is created. That when God gives you an environment like this, where it's supposed to be conducive to intimacy and a relationship with God, we start using this same environment to hide our inadequacies, hide our failures, hide our doubts, and hide our fears. But here comes God. Adam. Where are you, Adam? Adam, and it's not that God doesn't know the answer. He knows where Adam is. He's all-knowing. And he asks a question, not for his sake, but for Adam's sake. Adam, one translation says it like this. Adam, I'm in our meeting place. Where are you? I'm where we meet every day. And you come to me. And you share with me. See, in that garden, they could come to him and say, God, I don't understand the way of the eagle. I don't understand how that eagle can fly into the storm and go through what it goes through, and the storm will lift him higher. I don't understand. Well, see, son, it spreads its wings, and it trusts me enough to let the storm. 
That's the environment that God wanted. But they failed. They messed up. They did wrong. And they hid themselves. And God, he says, well, I'm in our meeting place. Where are you? And then here comes Adam. He comes and he takes off his fig leaves. He says, oh, man, you caught me. Can you imagine Eve? Honey, do these fig leaves make me look big? No, baby, no, you hesitated. I'm a smart man. I said, yep, yep, sir, yes, ma'am. Yep, mm, mm. Or no, 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 no. But can you imagine? God says, I'm here where we meet every day. And God knew instantly that something was wrong because they felt the need to cover up and they felt the need to hide in his presence because now they go, we were, we were we, you know, we messed up, we failed, we were hiding. And then God says, who told you you were naked? Nobody had to tell them they were naked. Because fig leaves, did you know fig leaves? Fig leaves, if you puncture fig leaves, study it. Go Google it and study it out. Fig leaves, if you puncture fig leaves to try to sew them together, they secrete an irritant that is one of the greatest irritants to human flesh even today. They didn't need nobody to tell them something was wrong. You can just see them, just something. They, they had it all covered up. They thought they had everything good. But they, they got in the presence of God and they said, man, something's not right. And see, that's the, that's the feeling of conviction. That's the feeling where you've done your best to try to cover up what you see fit is wrong with you. And where you try to cover up the frailties and the inadequacies. But you come to church with a smile. You got your hair did. You got your best giddy up on. But you come in here, but you steal. You just know something's just not right. And then what God does next. I know I'm taking a while. I'm almost done, I promise. Now, what God does next, he takes Adam and says, Adam, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you? I love you. I love your smoked chicken, too. It was good. But he takes Adam. That one who, whom he created and put in that garden because he loved him. He took him out of that garden because now he was forced, the Bible says. So he drove out the man. And God broke his own heart by having to remove Adam out of that garden, out of that place of intimacy where they would share that closest. He says, Adam, you got to stay out there. And then God took, and took, a, took an angel with a flaming sword and put that flaming sword. And any time Adam would try to come back, this flaming sword that was protecting the garden and protecting the Bible said the tree of life. Why? Because if they would have ate of that tree of life, they would have lived forever. So what God was doing the Bible said, he removed Adam for a moment because God would rather for a moment spend the top, spend for a moment be away from Adam and be separated for a moment so that he could make a way so Adam can get back to the tree. But until then, Adam, I've got to be separated for you from you and I've got to protect the tree of life because I don't want you to live forever in that separated 
state away from me. So this moment, it's going to be a moment that feels like eternity. But I'm going to come back. The Bible said Jesus came back and said that he was the last Adam. And him being the last Adam, the Lord of heaven, Jesus said, Adam, what you lost in the first garden, what you couldn't dress and what you couldn't keep, I'm going to come down as a man and I'm going to get it back. And that's all oh, you're not hearing me. And what Jesus came back for, that's why the Bible says, now in 19 and 41 of, of John, he said, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Because that last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to get back what that Adam lost in the first garden. It was what Jesus did in that last garden. So he can get back his Adam I'm telling you that's why he had his broken brow his beaten back his pierced hands was all for one time for him to get this angel out of the way and get that boy back to where he belongs how many believe that would you thank God for that right now now stay 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 because now Jesus comes, God in the flesh, manifest in the flesh as the last Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15. He came as the last Adam, the Lord of heaven. He came down to do what Adam could not do himself, what Adam wasn't good enough to do, what Adam wasn't strong enough to do. This last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came. And Luke 19 and 10 says it, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not them. That includes them. But he didn't just come and die on a cross just to get you back. But he wants that place with you back where you're naked and you're unashamed and you're not afraid of him and you know that he accepts you. You know that he loves you. So here's what Jesus did. He came and when he died on that cross, when he died on that tree in that last garden, he got back what the Adam lost in the first garden. And when he died and shed his blood, he said, you can take a break. Come on. And we gained access back. Come on, Adam. Tell me where you are now. Come on, come on. No, no, come on now. No, you're not standing outside. To tell me where you are now. And God, with what Christ did, he got us back into that place where we can get to that tree of life and we can live for eternity with him but guess what God's a gardener but you want to know how good of a gardener he is bring up Genesis bring up John 19 and 41 I want to show you because not only is, is he a gardener that knows what he needs to do in the garden to get back what was lost but not only is he a gardener, watch this. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher or a grave. A hole in the ground. Watch. Not only was he the gardener, but he made himself the seed. And he took that suffering 
on himself. He became naked and unashamed, taking that pain, taking that curse on himself. And after he died on that cross, they buried him like a seed in that garden. For what? The seed of his suffering became the fruit of our salvation. It was the seed of his pain and what he went through that became the fruit of the power that we can now experience. Do you understand that not only was he the gardener that knew what it would take in that garden to get back what Adam lost in the first, but he also made himself the seed that would be planted in that garden for you to have the fruit of new life. Come on, let's just stop right now and lift our hands and thank God for that right now. Hallelujah. Jesus name, Jesus name, Jesus name. Jesus, just a little bit further now. Because what seed did he plant in that last garden? And what all can you experience here today? The Bible said that he had a crown of thorns on his head. He had a broken brow that he had planted in that last garden. What does that say? That broken brow that he experienced through that crown of thorns, he planted that so you could have the fruit of a right mind. So you don't have to fuss and cuss with all these thoughts and all these marred mentalities from upbringings. No, he gave you seed in that garden where there was a tree and where he was buried so you can have a right mind. But not only that, he gave you two pierced hands that he planted in that last garden to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. But not only that, he goes a little bit further and he plants 39 stripes, whips on his back. 39 stripes he planted in that last garden. 39 stripes, what for? Because there are 39 major deadly categories of diseases known to man in the medical field today. And Jesus took a stripe for every one of those and he planted 39 seeds for 39 deadly diseases so that you don't have to be sick so you don't have to be diseased oh god but now i'll just finish here i'll just finish here what time is it okay but not only that the bible says for him to hang on that cross he had a piercing through his feet the feet were overlapped and the nail for it to hold him up had to go through the thickest part of the foot through both of the feet and that nail went through the thickest part of the foot which was the heel that he planted in that garden thus fulfilling the age old prophecy devil you may bruise my heel but I'm going to crush your head Jesus said, you may bruise my heel, but I'm going to crush your head. In other words, he was saying, you don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live as the victim. You don't have to live like you're not the, oh God. He gave you the strength to overcome anything and everything. And I think we ought to shout just for a moment about that. Hallelujah. 
But here's where we quit. Let me show you. So if we got access back to all of these things, don't play just yet. Wait till I give you the wink. Because everybody sees her come up like, oh, goody, goody, goody. But don't play yet. Because now, even though that the last Adam knew what he needed to do in the last garden, what he needed to plant in that last garden. And now we have access to all these things. And let me ask you, why is it that we do not experience it then? Could it be the same reason why Adam and Eve in the first garden, why they still had access to that tree of life before Jesus came, before God came and removed them? Could it have been because the same fig leaves that they used, the same environment that they used to hide themselves and cover themselves and the same fig leaves that they used, we use. And we use the same environment that was given to us to create this intimacy where we could come to Him and not be ashamed or nor be afraid. And we could come to Him and now we use the same environment to come in and hide our, our frailties, hide our insecurities, and hide ourselves. Those fig leaves they covered themselves up with. The smiles they put on and could I tell you, they didn't stop in the garden because even in the book in Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Bible said when that last Adam, Jesus, came down and he was walking on the scene, the Bible says he found a disciple by the name of Philip and Philip was so excited that he had found Jesus, the one he was waiting on. He runs to his friend Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we found him. The one who Moses and the prophets spoke about, we found him. Everything we've been waiting on, it's here. And then Nathaniel, after Philip says, we found, pull it up. For John chapter 1 verse 45, please. We found him. We found him. And Philip finding Nathaniel saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And now Nathaniel puts his nose up in the air. And says, Jesus of Nazareth? Oh dear. What? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They said that about Iowa too. <laughs> I just said what Philip said. Come and see. Look, can any good thing come out? He was religious. He was, he, was, he was faithful. He was a believer. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He said, I don't know, man. I just found him. Come and see. And then Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing? No, go back. And then saw, oh, there we are. Jesus saw Nathanael. No, no, go to 47. Messing me up now. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, behold, an Israelite in whom indeed is no guile. Here comes Nathaniel, the, the uppity one that, you know, and Jesus sees him coming and says, hey, Nathaniel. They'd never met before. Hey, Nathaniel, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. That means no deceit. In other words, he's not hiding anything. 
Here's an Israelite whom nothing is wrong with, that has nothing to hide. He's got no deceit. He's got no cover-up. Here's Nathaniel, Jesus says. That's not hiding anything, the perfect Nathaniel. And watch what Nathaniel says. Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? How do you know I was perfect? How do you know I ain't got nothing to hide? Man, he's good. And then watch what Jesus' response is. Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw you. Before Philip called you, when you were under those fig leaves, I saw you. When you thought nobody could see, I saw you. But notice Jesus didn't use what he saw against him. He used it as a connection point. He used what he saw under those fig leaves, whether it was inadequacies, whether it was failure, whether it was sin, whether it was fear. Jesus did not use that against Nathaniel. Even though what had ever happened, he didn't use it against him, but he used it as a point and opportunity for intimacy. And Nathaniel falls down to his knees and says, Thou art the King of Israel. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, You think that that's some that I knew where you were when you were under the fig leaves he said you ain't seen nothing yet you wait till I get that garden back Jesus knows what's under the fig leaves when we come and we lift our hands and we smile but underneath there is still something in us that we feel that there's just something incomplete and that there's something that we're not experiencing in him and there is something and he said I saw you when you were afraid I saw you when you were confused I saw you when they did what they did to you but you covered it up mm. you can play now That's why when Jesus died, he died on a tree with no leaves. When he died on that tree, there was no leaves. He was naked, despising the shame. But if for one more moment I can tell you the story or the day that I met the gardener, can I do that? I'd walked with him. I loved him. But there was a day where I met the gardener. It was last August that my pastor gathered me and several young men to go and sit around his old pastor who was a man of God. An old prophet of God that was used mightily. And he had just had a stroke. Severely damaged his brain and he would just stare. And he was about to pass off the scene. So we said, we better go meet with him and we better go sit around. Maybe he'll say something to us and pronounce maybe a last blessing. So we gathered around us young men and we sat around that elder. And that man of God would just stare and look off into the distance with a blank stare that he wasn't even there. And we would just sit there as young men saying, man, I hope he could just say something to me. Just speak into my life. Then all of a sudden, that old man of God, something would come on him. 
and it would drape over him and then all of a sudden he'd look at one of the young men and he would say if you give it to me if you give it to God you take care of his business he'll take care of yours and then all of a sudden they'd start crying and weeping he'd go out again and then after a couple of minutes later of us just sitting there in silence that, that elder prophet would just come back and he would start to speak and say if you do it like God asks you to do it there'll be no problem he'd just start eating. they'd start crying they'd start weeping and then I knew I was the last one he went out one more time and then he came back too and he looked at me ma'am he looked at me right in the eye and he said brother near sometimes you've got to just tell God where you are I know he knows where you are sometimes you just got to tell he said brother near sometimes you've got to get beyond your little pretty prayers and the way you've always done it I got mad but then he said brother near I remember that there were days where I would spend hours out in the field and I would be out there with God and I knew he knew where I was at but I would say God I'm right here and I don't know what to do next I don't know why they walked away. I don't, I don't know. I'm afraid, he told me. He said, sometimes you just got to tell God where you are. And then he went back out. And I walked away being a young man that, that's very prayerful, I believe. I walked away thinking, what are you saying? I don't pray. You saying I don't love God? That's not what he said. But that afternoon, I would receive a phone call. And that phone call would bring me to my knees that I never saw coming. That phone call brought me down to my knees. And then all of a sudden, I'm down in the basement. My family's two floors up in the upstairs. I'm down in the basement. I'm on my knees. And I'm saying, God, all right, I'm right here. And I don't understand why. I don't, I don't know what to do next. I'm right here, but where are you, God? And that day, I, I tore off everything. I told him right where I was, what I felt and why, and that I was afraid and I didn't know what to do next. And it was in that moment, all of a sudden, God showed me my heart. And when he showed it to me, it was in my mind's eye and I seen a little black dot in my heart. I said, wait a minute, God, that can't be there. We've seen God do mighty things. That, that black dog can't be there. I said, what is it? And then he zoomed in on my heart. And you know what it was? It was a little 13-inch TV in my heart. I said, God, how could that be there? Because that 13-inch TV, that might not mean much to you. But it meant something to me because I knew exactly what it was. That little 13-inch TV wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't media. That little 13-inch TV was a little TV that used to sit in our kitchen that my alcoholic and drug addict father would stumble past my mom and stumble past my sisters and stumble past me. And he would sit at that table for hours as he would watch that 13-inch TV. I would sit there as a little boy saying, God, what about me? Dad, wrestle with me little 13 inch TV represented all of my insecurities all my fears the feeling like I'm not good enough and I'll never be loved God said this is what that is and what I thought would cause God to lean back and away from me all of a sudden made God lean in
and he asks me can I have that and that day God took that 13 inch TV the source of my failures my insecurities my doubts feeling like I'm not good enough and I'll never be loved that day he wanted that because a gardener knows what to do with that kind of seed and he took it that day and my life changed so can I ask you no 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 wait 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 so can I ask you today abundant life and guests and visitors with us have you met the gardener every one of us has a 13 inch TV of some sort so have you met the gardener here today I want us all to stand if you would God is reaching for somebody right now the gardener is in this house and he's reaching for somebody I'm not reaching for you pastor's not reaching for you but there is a God in heaven that gave you every opportunity to get back to that garden so have you met the gardener I want you to begin to pray right now church I want you to begin to let God begin to lead you and come to Him and just tell Him, God, be real with Him. Be honest with Him. Say, God, I don't know what's next. If you would like to meet Him this morning, I want you to just bow your head and begin to ask God right now, God, I would like to meet you. Can I meet the gardener? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.